Hello, and welcome to the Popcorn Isn't Real. I'm Leif Eric, and I'm here with my brother Torvald. And today we've got a real treat for you. We are going to be talking about the Phantasm film series by Don Coscarelli. So the first one, Phantasm 1979, was like really successful, like unexpectedly, right? Like it was a just a random, like super indie movie made by Don Coscarelli on the weekends with his friends. But I mean, it came out at just like the perfect time for like campy right. horror movies, right? Like right. just the 1979. Turn of the 80s. Uh-huh. And so Universal was the one, they were the ones in charge of the second movie, the sequel. Okay. Um, and that's why there were so many stupid choices made, right? Because they were like, hey, people like this but we don't want to bother understanding why people like this. Right. So <laughs> we'll just we're going to insert ourselves into <laughs> every single you know part of the process. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to have him recast the lead for yeah. no reason, no which reason. he didn't want to do. No, but he decided no like they wanted him to recast Mike and Reggie. But that would be so he, stupid. I why? know. Like, why buy that why franchise? Why do they think people are watching successful? this? <laughs> well, but like in their defense, in the eighties, like they didn't know how franchises worked and how fans worked exactly at that point. Right. Like yeah. they, we didn't have the big, you know, long spanning, um, series that we do now. So, you know, I can kind of give them the benefit of, they just like, well, they, we know that, you know, bigger stars mean bigger numbers. So all we need is the title phantasm and we throw it, but I'm just like, so they wanted to like, a named star, but like, who the heck is James LaGrosse? The guy that got to replace Mike. (laughs) Like, right. Like, like there's no reason, like, I don't know. Maybe he was on some TV show back then. I don't know. I haven't looked into James LaGrosse's history, but like, it's just like, it's if, uh, if, uh, you know, Marvel, they released the first Iron Man movie and that's like a huge unexpected success. And they're like, Whoa, Iron Man's a huge success. Quick. Let's recast Tony Stark. Like no one would think or, that. <laughs> or let's recast or, War Machine. Let's <laughs> let's recast Rhodey, yeah, which they <laughs> yeah. did. Well, that wasn't really their fault. That that was just <laughs> negotiations. Either way, I'm just saying, like they wouldn't recast the titular character. They wouldn't recast Iron Man just because they saw it was successful, right? Like I don't understand how success correlates with let's recast the main character. I just yeah, I mean I don't get it. It's a I wonder if it's weird like the decision. person. Right. Like the person who discovers it and makes the decision to like purchase it or convinces the execs to purchase it, like maybe is a real fan. But then the execs are just like, well, we have this property, you know, and so we're just going to apply our normal logic to all of the properties we have. Yeah. Is there normal logic for a sequel? (laughs) Recast the main character. (laughs) I mean, I don't see how that's logic. Apparently. Right. Well, they're like, nobody knows who, who Michael, Michael Baldwin, his name is actually Mike. (laughs) So yeah, Reggie's name is actually Reggie. Uh (laughs) But anyway, it's a Michael Baldwin though. He has a first name there. Yeah. He's, he's, he's not the Michael Baldwin, (laughs) (laughs) but anyway, so like uh, for Don Coscarelli, he, he argued them that like, okay, well at least let me keep one of them. And then of of course he chose Reggie because it's like eight years later. So you might as well recast the kid, right? Because yeah, that makes sense. He will look different. Yeah. Back to the the, the budget. So like I think Phantasm 2, I don't know if it was as successful as the first one, but I think it was fairly successful because it's just like a fun little action horror comedy thing. Um, And then I think that's why they had a huge budget for three. 
Yeah. But then I don't think three did very well. And also I think it's the worst in the series personally. Really? I like three <laughs> <Yeah>. a lot. <laughs> I, I, three I hated three. It, <laughs> not as much as I hated Ravager, Dude, but we won't talk about Ravager. Three had everything. It had like a plethora of those uh, floating death orbs. What are they called? They have like a technical name. I forget. Well, they have lots of names. Sometimes they call them drones. Other times sentinels. Um, other times floating death orbs. <laughs> so one one time I think it was like Mike called them like or orbiculars or something. Like he, he came with this weird technical word that I was like, What? Yeah. Man, I don't maybe maybe that, I made that up while watching it. I but think it, their technical <laughs> name is Sentinels, but I'm not right. sure. Well, I had a ton of Sentinels, which I liked. Oh, yeah. So I, well, I was hoping for more Sentinels, so I got that. Was that was the first time they'd ever used CG. <laughs> oh, I mean, it worked in, in spades. It was great. Um, it had like a Home Alone ripoff kid. It had yeah, uh, like, so twins. So that's the... <laughs> <laughs> and they put the Home Alone kid in it. <laughs> I mean, That's the it, reason I was just it, like, wait wasn't a minute. Macaulay like, Culkin, it was just some other and kid. Don't, <laughs> like it's, well, don't get me wrong. Like, I love Reggie as a character, but I feel like he works better as a supporting character. And yeah, I, I think agree. that because they had to recast Mike in the second movie, they had to make Reggie more of a main character yeah. um, because he was the familiar face. Yeah. And then th what they did was they just kind of kept going with that with like, well, now Reggie's sort of the main character. So they, so. and then I'm just like, why is Reggie in this house with this home alone kid? Like no, this, exactly. this is stupid. Really why are we sense. doing this? This doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> so, and like, so like that kid was introduced, he was supposed to be kind of like an homage to the original Mike in the first one. He was like, nothing they were like, like the original I'm like, Yeah, no, that was my <laughs> thing. Like, like he's like nothing him. like him. First of all, I thought that like Mike, before he gets old, <laughs> was just like the prettiest pretty boy, right? Like he's- <laughs> I mean, I he's thought like, he was kind of scrawny. Like, I, well, I think he's just like such a cute kid. <laughs> and then this kid they pick in the new one, first of all, he's way younger. And he's uglier. A chubby. <laughs> he's like not he's like not cute at all. Yeah. And then like so Mike, he spent the first half of the original Phantasm like being really bad at things. So you kind yeah. of find him endearing. He's just like a no, kid exactly. who's just trying to stick with his brother. Right. And you're he really tried into real him. hard, but wasn't really good at stuff. Whereas like this new cool. kid is just like a total poochie who's just yeah. like, he's I'm like good I'll at everything. kill all the bad guys. <laughs> and <laughs> it's like like his whole uh, being able to make improvised weapons and traps and stuff like like Mike did that once in the original movie with like the cool little trick where he gets out of his room. Like that's a cool trick. Yeah. Right. And the, but this new kid is just like doing that constantly from the very beginning. And it's just so well, annoying. I mean, he like, did it a bunch at his house. I don't remember him doing it ever again after they left his house. Right. After the stupid home alone <laughs> <Right>. thing. <laughs> so, I mean, I like mean, home alone as I a horror a movie a is a good idea if that's the movie, but that's right. not the movie I came in to watch. No, right? I I'm agree. I want to see what happens to Mike and Reggie. <laughs> it was out of place and weird, but I took it as, ah, here's a fun little home alone homage, right? Like that's okay. That was fun. And then we moved on with the movie, right? I, yeah. I thought it was okay. But three did start out really good. Like I loved like when they brought in Jody, when they brought Jody back, that was really cool. Yeah. Um, and Reggie's, you know, and <laughs> Reggie's great line. <laughs> Jody, what are you doing what here? Are you doing? You're dead. <laughs> so that was like interesting. And that, that's like such a great way to start. You're like, oh, what's going to happen? Like, like Mike 
finally reunited with his brother Jody. Like, what are they going to do? What's well, you know, what is Jody now? You know, yeah. And then they're just like, okay, now let's let's separate Reggie from Mike. Let's follow Reggie. Right. Let's do that Home Alone. Let's have him find him this right this away. rocky lady with her nunchucks. Yeah, yeah, she had nunchucks. She was so cool. <laughs> I actually, Dude. I didn't mind Rocky. I thought rocky she was, totally, was pretty yeah, cool. Okay. You gotta admit. <laughs> yeah, I liked Rocky. You know, no, she, she, was she was good. And she, like, I thought that she defied the trope of, you know, 70s, 80s horror girls. And she fought off his sexual advances yeah. every time. That was good. It, <laughs> in many ways, she played directly into the trope of, like, 70s, 80s black ladies well, <laughs> with, yeah. with her nunchucks. That's also true. <laughs> no, she was fun. She was a good character. I, I can't, I, I can understand disliking the kid. I can't understand disliking Rocky. No. She was great. But I thought it was interesting that like George Lucas and Don Coscarelli kind of got their start around the same time. Yeah. And people even compared Phantasm to Star Wars because the dwarves were kind of like the Jawas, which... Yeah, they, I mean, they looked a lot like them. <laughs> but like he wasn't copying the Jawas. But like they both did the same thing, right? Like put the Jawas in that one desert. Well, no, in I, California. I, with my with my other thing with the kid. Well, they did do that. But with like uh, George Lucas cast this like young, cute Luke Skywalker kid, and then when he does his prequels, he's like, I'm going to do an homage to that when I cast young Anakin. But he's like this chubby, annoying, like <laughs> not endearing at all, you know. And then Don Coscarelli did the exact same thing. Yeah, I agree. He's he is the all kid right. from Phantasm, one hundred percent. <laughs> so that concludes my theory. <laughs> yep, there we go. <laughs> so we came to the conclusion that Phantasm 3, the little kid, is Anakin from The Phantom. The Phantasm <laughs> Menace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Five thumbs up and we'll see you next time. <laughs> I mean, okay, so you didn't like Phantasm 3 and I understand a lot of the reasons you didn't like it. But yeah. overall... I loved that they brought Sentinels back. I loved that Jody was a Sentinel. <laughs> I loved the fan, the tall man just getting like yeah. melted and head exploded and frozen and like yeah. they we murdered him in so many ways. That movie, I thought it was great. Yeah. I had a lot of fun with it. I thought it was it was really 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 fun. Right? Like, I yeah, like for all its flaws, like you can't skip Phantasm Three. Right? Oh no, like, and you it can had tons of story. Like you can story skip wise, Phantasm Two like, completely. Yeah, like Phantasm you don't even. It did nothing it. <laughs> as far as the story. It did nothing. Phantasm 3, the story was like thick and heavy. Like we learned yeah. everything about Mike no, and I mean, Judy like, and, and honestly, it's it's totally a fine movie if, if you just cut that kid out, right? Like, like the, the, once they the get movie. to the funeral home, like it's all pretty interesting and finding like, you know, the that there is a sentinel inside of Mike's head, you know, oh. like all that stuff is interesting. <laughs> well, I mean, that's something I wanted to ask you about, but I'm not sure if I should wait till we're like going through your theory. In Phantasm 3, did the tall man put the sentinel in Mike's head using that device? Or was he trying to get it out of Mike's head using that device and I failed? Mean, you finished <laughs> watching Phantasm 4, right? Yeah. He takes it out of Mike's head. Right. And I'm wondering, did he put it there? Because <laughs> he seemed to have finished what he was doing in Phantasm 3. Like, No, I, in Phantasm 3, I'm pretty sure he was trying to get it out and he just didn't get it out. I don't know why. Okay. So in that case... Had it always been there? Why was there a sentinel in his head? <laughs> they never, I don't understand. <laughs> well, so there is a long sequence, 
when Reggie is at the home alone house where we don't see Mike for a while. So it's possible. <laughs> so like, I mean, this, this does factor into my theory a tiny bit is just that I'm not going to focus a lot on the plot. Cause I feel like the plot stuff doesn't really make sense. It's all just an excuse for the metaphor, you know, of the, you know, the actual meat of the, of what's going on in Mike's head. Okay. So in, um, in your opinion, the movies aren't real. Like it, it's all metaphorical. The, the plot, the stuff yeah. that's going on is <laughs> yes. only a foil for what we're trying to show. Yeah. And that is a good place to get into my theory. So my theory is that none of the Phantasm series happens. It is okay. all a dream in Mike's head. And I'm going to focus okay. mostly on Phantasm 1, but we can get to the other ones after and just kind of try to see how they might factor into this theory. But so my theory, as, as implied... By the end of the first film, the entire movie is a fever dream of a young boy who is dealing with the loss of both parents and his brother. Trauma from going to these funerals has caused his subconscious to demonize the funeral home director. His fear of death and being left behind is what prompts kind of all the events and crazy stuff in this dream. Like I know the end of the first Phantasm film pretty much kind of like confirms this theory, right? Sort of. But then Kinda, yeah. we've got we got like sort of that extra twist at the end where it's like, oh, but maybe it's real. So I think that's the reason why it's good to to go over this theory and just see how everything fits into this idea that nothing happened and it's all a dream. Yeah, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give a quick synopsis of the first movie and then I'm just going to start bringing up uh, evidences, uh, just going through it uh, line by line for how all the different events uh, support this dream theory. So a 13-year-old boy named Mike suffers because his parents died recently and he's afraid of losing his older brother, Jody. He thinks, uh, he thinks something strange is going on at the local funeral home. He and Jody and their best friend, ice cream man, Reggie, end up on the wrong side of an evil undertaker known as the Tall Man. Turns out the Tall Man is from another dimension and he reanimates corpses to act as his slaves on another well, planet. Was he uh, from another dimension? dimension? <laughs> Uh, well, okay. Well, yeah, well, maybe not. The other movies might bring that into it's question. A, it's all in Mike's head, but well, at least on a plot level from the first, just looking at the first movie, it seems like he's from another dimension or planet. Yeah. Okay. He also has spheres of death that drill out your brain. That's, I mean, that's kind of important. That's yes. the thing people remember most from the movie. Well, um, but why does he have them? Like, what do they accomplish? Now. <laughs> <laughs> I, may, maybe we'll get into that later but right. so they they work together to defeat the tall man these three uh but then mike wakes up reggie tells him that his brother jody died in a car crash and everything was just a dream or was it well and importantly up until that scene reggie had died and jody yes. had survived <laughs> and we'll talk about that <laughs> right too. up until that scene when all of a sudden so, mike wakes up and reggie was alive and jody was dead yeah. And when I got to that very last scene, I, I had loved Phantasm up until that point. But like when I got to that last scene, my first thought was like, Go, come on, I just invested, you know, an hour and a half into this movie. And, yeah. and also like, but then you're like, okay, so it was a dream. But like, what? Where did the did dream start? <laughs> yeah. Well, like, yeah, exactly. What did happen? Like, because Reggie's here and Jody's not. Jody yeah. dying was never part of the dream, Dude. like any part of the movie. Right. So. But but then it was a double fake out because he went yeah. to his room and right. the tall man was there and, and the he attacked tall man him. says his, his catchphrase, boy. <laughs> and then Which I think is actually a really good catchphrase. Mirror. 
Dude, everything about the tall man's really good. He's a great villain. He's, He's so good. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed him as a horror villain. Dude, so I have a question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> has nothing to do with your theory because your theory says none of this is, exists. But like whenever they killed the tall man and he came back, what was going on there? Like, was he healing? Was he regenerating? Or was another tall man just coming out of the alternate dimension and replacing him? There, another tall man was coming out of the alternate dimension and replacing him. Okay, did uh, the I, new fact, tall man have all of his memories? I think so. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in a way this factors into my theory because but not like I don't know exactly the plot reason. But the non-plot reason is that he represents death. He is death. So of course yeah. you can't kill death, right? Right. He's so just then, a force. You're saying he wasn't being replaced by an alternate universe version. He just kept coming back. Like he regenerated basically. No, but I mean like the, the plot reason he, he was being replaced by other versions of himself. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I don't know. They have his memories like, and stuff. Okay. Like, so <laughs> it's really hard to sort of say what exactly the plot is, but certainly what it feels like is someone's dream where everything kind of makes a little bit of sense if you don't think about it too hard, but really nothing makes any sense, you know? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> and, nothing makes sense. <laughs> I mean, so the first support of my theory is that Don Coscarelli said he thought of this idea when he had a dream that he was being chased by like a weird floating sphere in a funeral home. Wow, so like dude. it was inspired <laughs> by was a dream. That was the first movie. <laughs> All right. The tall man is death and Mike is afraid of death. All the important people in his life have died. Yeah. And you're now, saying that at the start of this movie, his brother has already died or yes. his brother is in the process of like dying and Mike is coping with it, with this horrible nightmare. His brother is already dead because at the so, end of the movie, we do get a brief flashback, which I think is one of the only scenes that really happens where Mike standing at his brother's grave is staring at his brother's grave. Yeah. And it says he died in 1978, which would have been when this was filmed. All right. Uh, so it was just very recently that he died okay. in a car crash. Well, then can I ask you what was the significance of like the very first funeral of the movie? Like their mutton chop friend. Was he Jody? Yes. <laughs> okay. And that is a big part of my theory. Reggie and Jody meet to mourn the loss of their friend, Tommy, who we will talk more about later because he's important. Uh, okay. Reggie implies that it's good that Jody did not bring Mike to the funeral as Mike was apparently traumatized by the death of his parents two years previously. And he doesn't do well at funerals. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's just like right off the bat. They're telling us Mike does not do like he's traumatized by anything having to do with funerals. Right. But then that entire scene and like the scene following it all happen without Mike being present. Yes. And I think this is a dream thing, right? Like you can be someone else in a dream, right? You can switch yeah. perspectives, right? Like I don't think it matters that we're not always in Mike's perspective. Like it's all in Mike's mind, but he's jumping perspectives from time to time to other people. Okay. No, I can, um, I can dig it. So yeah, everything having to do with funerals and the funeral home represents death to Mike and it scares him. Um, just a few little things. These are small things, but like the dwarves, they're even robed like death, right? Like they're robed like the Grim Reaper. Yeah, they have um, brown robes though. Grim Reaper has a black robe. That's true. But I mean, <laughs> I think matter. there's <laughs> no, a similarity there. <laughs> now, now, in a later point in the movie, when Mike is escaping from his room because Jody trapped him there. The tall man is already at his door when he gets out and he says, I've been waiting for you. Now there's 
literally no plot reason why the tall man would be waiting for Mike at this point, right? Except (laughs) that he's obsessed with Mike. Like, Mike has weird telepathic powers or whatever, right? Oh, yeah, but we don't learn that till later movies. I'm talking about, like, right now in this movie, like, there's really not much reason that the tall man... Yeah, but no, you got to... You've got to take it in context as a series because there are so many threads. Like this series was so cohesive, dude. Like that's why I liked it so much is there's so much in the first movie that doesn't really make sense or have any meaning. <laughs> it's but true. But somehow carries over to the second uh, and third and fourth movie. Like <laughs> like the tuning forks, for example. <laughs> like that's, there's no reason for there to be tuning forks in the first movie. And yet they were so important in the first, yeah. fourth movie. Like, well, but... And one of those things that actually has to do with with uh, what I'm talking about right now is uh, when the tall man walks past Reggie's ice cream truck, right? Like mm-hmm. when that happens in the first movie, you're like, what is he? Yeah. Is he? <laughs> I, th- I thought he here? was staring at Mike across Me the street. Me too, but right? then he wasn't because he kind of looked past him right. and looked away. He didn't even know Mike was there. <laughs> and then in the third movie, they establish, oh, he doesn't like the cold. And I'm uh-huh. like, wait, did they just retcon that? But no, that's what they intended from the very beginning. Yeah, like I think Don you're Cascarelli right. Yeah. Like the tall man didn't even see Mike in that scene. That that shot was always just supposed to show he hates the cold. Uh huh. And it didn't <laughs> matter at all in the movie that they showed it in. <laughs> But that's uh, but that's another thing that sort of equates him with death because the reason he hates the cold is the dimension he's from is very hot, which is what we tend to associate with hell, right? Like it's the yeah, red world is what they call like it. Like the cold, clammy hands of death, <laughs> like being cold and lifeless. I don't know. Yeah, I think cold I is mean, associated like, with death as well. I don't know. I feel like there are, are several things that kind of uh, equate the tall man, like images that sort of... Uh, show that he is supposed to be like death or from hell. Um, right. Like I was, if you're saying he's from hell, yeah, I think his, di- his dimension or where, I don't even think it's his dimension, but whatever dimension <laughs> they put <laughs> the dwarves into for whatever reason, definitely seems very hellish. You <laughs> know, yeah, I don't know why the dwarves are there. I always assumed they were mining, but that's just because mine shafts have a lot to do with the first movie, which again, I think is a hell hell image because when Jody says they're going to throw him down the mine shaft, he says, we'll throw, thrust him all the way down to hell or something like that. Drop him yeah, all the way like to hell. That, yeah. Another thing that kind of equates the tall man with death is when he, one of the times when he catches Mike, he says, you played a good game, which of course is what you do with death, right? You play a game with death. <laughs> Bill and Ted do it. Now, one of the things we're talk about is uh, how Mike has this don't fear sort of uh, thing that he repeats to himself that he gets from the, uh, the fortune teller at the very beginning and how this whole movie is kind of him learning to not fear death and learn to live his life. But when he is going to find Jody after Jody has left to go to the mine shaft and the tall man is chasing him, he's like about to step into a puddle of mud and he stops and he says, don't fear. There's literally and no reason for him to be afraid of that mud. No, but, but then, then he, he steps, steps into in it. it. It's pretty scary. <laughs> there was so much reason for him to be that afraid of that mud. mud dude. <laughs> but that again, is just another death imagery that like these hands come out and try to drag him into the ground, right? Like he's, a, he's been to three funerals in the past like two years. And he is just utterly terrified and paralyzed by death. And, you know, those hands trying to drag him down, too. Yeah, I I can I can get behind all the death imagery and all the scared of funerals uh, references that you're laying down. I, I agree with everything so far. 
So we know that Mike is 100% afraid of Jody leaving, right? Jody leaves Mike constantly throughout this. And yeah, he Mike keeps is, leaving him. <laughs> is always following him around. And every time, at least from the halfway point of the movie onward, every time Jody leaves, he is he's always... going to die. He, right. He's always going into <laughs> danger. And he always leaves Mike in an also terrible bad situation. Yes. Right? <laughs> Which of course is incredibly irresponsible <laughs> in this but, movie. But of course, that's how Mike would see it because that's what Jody did. Jody died. He left him and, left and died. And Mike, yeah. a total, like completely an orphan. He like, well, he was already basically. an orphan, but like now he's like he got no one right except the he's ice, got an cream ice cream man. man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. So like, I think the fact that this happens like five times throughout the movie, you know, and of course that Mike is just always trying to get Jody. You know, he just wants his brother back. Is is another um, supporting evidence for the yep. fact that like but Jody's his brother dead just keeps leaving him to go fight death <laughs> and a lot of times when he leaves him that's another thing is he leaves him with reggie which is presumably what happened what when he, he died did, yeah now, now reggie is his caretaker um, well, so i just i just have to say, i don't remember him leaving him with reggie i i think reggie was like barely in that movie he showed up to play his guitar and then he showed up at the end i don't remember him at all in the so middle parts one time uh when he leaves uh toward the end he leaves him with Reggie and tells Reggie to drop Mike off at the antique shop. And this is where Mike sees that photo of the, uh, that comes to life of, of mm -hmm. death, you know, this unaging tall man who has apparently been around since like the 18th century. Right. That's one of the times he leaves him with Reggie during that scene. When Mike realizes he has to go back, he convinces the antique shop ladies to take him back in the Volkswagen Beetle. And then there's this scene where the dwarves attack the ladies and they find yeah. Reggie's ice cream truck tipped well, over. Um, I mean, if you want to talk about that part, I, w I was wondering what your interpretation of that is in regard to your theory. Like what, what was going on with these antique shop ladies? What did they represent? Why did they need to, I guess, die? Well, I mean, I think that they just represent someone who... It's just Mike like was, the failure of his family and friends to take care of him. Is that right? I think it was someone that Mike was just taking care of for a while and no one kind of wants him. Reggie's dropping him off with the antique ladies. The antique ladies are taking him somewhere else. Him right. <laughs> right. Like he's an orphan and he, lots of different people are kind of taking care of him, but he really doesn't have any one person like Jody anymore. Okay. But, oh, so, so during that scene, when they get attacked by dwarves, um, Mike gets pushed out the back window. He lies on the ground like next to like an overturned truck, the ice cream truck. Yeah. And he's just laying there on the ground, like not moving. And it keeps mm -hmm. cutting to Jody, who is just sitting at home doing nothing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then it I cuts back that. and forth between Mike and Jody like five times. Yeah. And I kind of think <laughs> nothing was happening. <laughs> this is trying to tell us that he wishes that he had been the one who died in a car wreck instead of Jody. Like Jody could have been the one who was safe at home, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that, that's part of his conflicted feelings about Jody's death is, I mean, and that's the thing that people feel often during grief is like, you know, why couldn't it have been me kind of thing? Simply owing to the fact that there is no other reason for that <laughs> scene to have been in the movie. I got to agree with you. I mean, what else could they have been saying? Like, I was wondering myself, I was like, why do they keep cutting between Jody and Mike right here? Nothing's happening. <laughs> 
So after Michael does get home and finds Jody, who is just sitting there doing nothing, presumably waiting for Reggie. But this is another time when Jody leaves him in a bad situation to go off to die, right? To yeah. go off to meet death. And he's carrying Michael upstairs. And at this point, I think this is very important. Michael screams, you're never coming back, you goddamn bastard. I yeah. think this shows that Michael obviously kind of subconsciously, even though he's sort of hiding the fact that Jody's dead, bringing him back to life in his dream. Subconsciously, he knows Jody's dead or going to die. And I also think he's mad. Like that's another feeling you feel when you're going through grief is you're angry at the person for dying. And so mm -hmm. that's why he's swearing at his brother. And also worth noting, like this is, you know, in screenwriting terms, this is the act break. This is the low point. This is the moment where all is lost. The one time when Jody leaves him and he's actually prevented from following, right? Uh, all the not other times for he's, long. Right, not for long. All, but all the other times he's basically been able to just follow Jody. This time he actually has to find a way to escape. All right. So in the very beginning of the film, at Tommy's funeral, Reggie says, a hell of a way to end a trio. Now, presumably Tommy was a member of their band. I don't think Tommy is a real person. They never talk about him after that. They don't seem to be particularly sad that he's dead. No. <laughs> um, now, <laughs> possibly this could be because it's Mike's dream and Mike didn't really know him. But right. like, like, I think this is Mike's dream. And I think Tommy is actually Jody and Mike's mind is still blocking out Jody's death. So in his dream slash memory, he's created another person. Now, right. He says a hell of a way to end a trio, but the real trio through all these movies is Mike, Jody, and Reggie, not Tommy, Jody, and Reggie. That's so. true. <laughs> yeah. So then, uh, like, after the funeral, him sneaking around, is that like he tried to not go to the funeral, but got, yeah. <laughs> went to it anyway? Well, I like, think, what? I don't know. But I, I mean, yeah, of course, every event might not directly correlate to something in real life, but yeah. I was just wondering if that was anything like. And this, I don't know, may seem unlikely, but it is possible that maybe he was prevented from going to Jody's funeral. Like, yeah, because they act like he had a really bad experience at his parents' funeral. I don't know. Maybe he flipped out. Maybe they didn't want that to happen again. Like the only right. time we see him is just standing at Jody's grave. Right. But that's not at a funeral. Like, like Jody's already buried. It's covered in grass. Right. Yeah. Maybe that's kind of like part of his dream slash memory. Maybe he did try to sneak into the funeral. I don't know. But that, okay. it also kind of seems unlikely. Like you wouldn't prevent a brother from going. No, to that's it. what I was thinking. Like, <laughs> pretty sure he could have gone if he wanted, yeah. if it was his brother's <laughs> funeral. But then uh, I guess the tall man coming and picking up the casket and carrying it away is like death taking his brother. Is that what you're saying there? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, all right. But it is interesting to note. So Tommy dies while having sex with a blonde woman in the cemetery. Yeah. Something well, that, that Jody be my next tries question. to do later, right? Like yeah, he, the like exact what? same scene. <laughs> <laughs> right. But what does having sex have to do with death? <laughs> like why does well, sex lead to death in this we'll, movie? We'll get to that right after we, we finish Tommy as Jody. Cause that's a, that's okay. another big part. Okay. So um, Tommy does what Jody does. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's what you're saying. Well, like exactly. Like how common a thing is this? Right. Like, <laughs> Very common in this small town to have sex. It doesn't make any sense. People that's, not that's have houses do. or cars. I mean, <laughs> right? you remember the girl when she picked up Jody, she's like, so what do you guys do here for fun? <laughs> That's what they do. They go to the graveyard and have sex. <laughs> but okay. So, but another thing that I think supports my theory is that in the first scene where Tommy's having sex 
in the graveyard. Tommy is literally Jody in one shot. So <laughs> the actor who played the woman in Violet, that's the woman's name, she wasn't super familiar with the actor who played Tommy and didn't want to shoot a sex scene with him. So for the one shot where you can see both of them together, the actor playing Tommy is actually Jody's actor, Bill Thornbury. And you can see his naked legs in the shot. Yeah, I was going to say, you can only see like their legs and feet. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, I kind of think this supports the theory because like ideas come to directors on the fly. And after shooting this, I think maybe he embraced the idea. Oh, yeah, Tommy is Jody, whether consciously or subconsciously. Well, I mean, I can't deny Tommy is Jody for that scene. <laughs> right. <laughs> he I mean, that proves literally it. Jody. <laughs> okay. And then the other thing is Jody dies in a car crash. Well, what yeah. other character dies in a car crash in this film? Um, I mean, presumably the two girls from the antique store might have. No, they actually <laughs> survive, and we'll talk about. They survived. <laughs> yeah, that's really you don't you don't surprising. see them again later, but we'll talk about why they survived and why that's important to Mike. But no, the All other right, person who, who we see die is a dwarf who's killed oh. in a car crash, and who was that dwarf? Like they look at him, they're like, Tommy? "Oh, dude, it was Tommy." You're right. <laughs> Right? Like he's Whoa. killed the same way that Jody was killed. This and Mike's is mind so is trying to face reality, but it can't. So it creates the situation where he gets to witness the car crash that killed his brother, but with a fabricated person, right? So he's but not he traumatized. The car crash. Well, and again, I think he might even feel a little guilty. Like, I don't think he was responsible, but I think everyone dealing with grief kind of feels a little bit of guilt. Like, oh, well, I, what could I have done kind of thing? Yeah. Um, like, if only I'd been there, <laughs> if only he'd let me come with him. Mike, I think, is afraid of living his life. He's afraid of dying. And I think he thinks now subconsciously that like living is dying, right? Everyone he knows is dying. And if he, like his life, he's just going to die at some point. Um, yeah. So when Mike goes to the fortune teller, he tells them he saw something scary, the tall man. And they don't care about this at all. They're just like, whatever. They don't even respond to it. They're like, stick your hand in this box. Yeah. Stick, <laughs> stick your hand in this box, Michael. <laughs> so the girl says in her weird yeah. monotone voice. It's a really um, great response to this kid being scared. Hey, shove your hand in this box that will grab you and not let go. And it gets stuck. But they insist that it's all because he's afraid. And she keeps telling him, don't fear, Michael. And then it lets go of him, even <laughs> though he's still clearly afraid. <laughs> and he's, she's like, fear is the real killer. It's all in your mind, etc." So like these are hints that like it's all in his mind, but also like he's afraid to move on with his life. Yeah. Right. Like he's um, literally dying of fear. Like he, he right. can't, and I think he can't face he's kind of, of fear. yeah. Like he is paralyzed. He's not moving anywhere. He's trapped. Just like his hand is trapped in the box. <laughs> <laughs> now this doesn't support my theory at all. Uh, but when he leaves, they snicker those, those two ladies, uh, like they just played a trick on him. <laughs> like a pretty good trick. <laughs> Sticking his <laughs> hand in that box. Poor kid. who's like, <laughs> even, in, like, even within the context of the movie, even if Jody's not dead, his parents did die like two years ago. And I he's know. like, <laughs> like, why would they play a trick on him? They're really mean people. So he's afraid of living his life. And what does sex represent? It represents coming of age. Growing up. And what he kind of, it seems like maybe he even gets mad a little bit uh, Jody for doing it is when Jody's, you know, uh, trying to hook up with that lady, um, the lady in Violet. No, dude, I mean, he was super excited. Like he chased <laughs> him out to the graveyard and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm about to see my brother bang. <laughs> like he was pumped. <laughs> like, Which also made no sense because like from where... 
Mike was, he couldn't have seen He anything. would only see his brother. <laughs> like, it was, was so dark. And he was far away. Like, you wouldn't be able to see, like, anything at all. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I mean, he was just real excited for his brother. He was happy for him, I guess. Yeah, but I think I the know. reason that, that sex equals death for Mike, or why he equates them, is just because that represents, like, a coming of age. Like, that's what Jody did. Jody got older. His older brother grew up and started dating women. And then his older brother died, right? And so that's why sex equals death for him because it represents growing up which is what he can't do he can't grow up and move on with his life right I, i'm not completely behind this just because sex caused death <laughs> like, right exactly sex killed tommy <laughs> and well, exactly. was gonna kill jody but he stopped the sex so you're saying he stopped tommy he's like if only i could stop tommy from growing up or sorry yeah. if only i could stop uh, sorry jody from jody. growing up yeah, I think so. Like, I, I mean, I don't think that it's necessarily logical, right? Like, this is all in his head. I think that he does feel like, as his older brother was growing up, maybe growing further away from him and then eventually died in this car crash, like, was there something he could have done, right? Like, could I have stopped him? And then in his dream, he does stop him from growing up, from having sex and from d consequently dying. So Okay, well, then here's another question about that. And this is a question that I just had organically as I watched that scene. So... They're about to have sex, and the girl is presumably the tall man and going to kill Jody. And then one of the tall man's henchmen comes out and scares Mike into the sex, <laughs> like out into the field. So he'll run past and disrupt it. And because of that little dwarf, they don't have sex and Jody doesn't die. <laughs> so death <laughs> saved Jody from death. <laughs> like, yeah. How do you explain that? <laughs> I mean, here's how I'll explain it. So <laughs> good luck. Don, Don Coscarelli has said many of the plot points and things that happen in Phantasm all came about just because the crew was sitting around chatting and then just decided to like make some cool props or costumes. We're like, hey, we can shoot a scene about this. Yeah. <laughs> so, seemed like it. <laughs> I'm not saying that, that everything necessarily consciously to Don Coscarelli was always without plot holes. <laughs> so I think okay. maybe this is a slight plot hole from both my thematic standpoint and from the plot standpoint, it makes no sense. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what, there is no, <laughs> there's no reason why the dwarves would be thwarting their master. Even right. if, if you go for the, that, that, that it's all real. Right. Like it, it seemed pretty purposeful that they scared now, Mike out there. Like they could have attacked him without growling at him and <laughs> lunging at him like that. Like I actually don't know if the dwarves can do anything without growling. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's, you might be right they do growl a lot <laughs> but i mean I, if we look at it from the plot maybe this tall man just likes to have the dwarves have around <laughs> the oh, tall man likes sorry. to, have the, likes to have the dwarves watch while he has sex <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and, and mike so was dwarves, just in the way right that <laughs> was, well, was clearly a great manager i want to watch <laughs> So you're saying they were just as pumped as Mike about this. <laughs> like, hey, let me get in on this. I mean, they didn't chase Mike down, right? Like, clearly, That's once true. he left, they were <laughs> they like, all right. Got in position. <laughs> but we then the watch, tall man left. We could watch our master get naked. 
dude. <laughs> wow. So maybe the dwarves represent Mike because they wanted the same thing that he did out of that situation. <laughs> I mean, they are people who are literally crippled by death, which Mike it's is. true. They are crippled by death. You're right. So. But they're also the people who have already died. Yeah. All right. So we, we, we got through the whole, the whole sex scene. Yeah. So What's next on the list? But, well, this relates to the whole Tommy is Jody thing, but Mike's mind blocks out death in almost all its forms. So he can't face the death, the death of his brother, and he kind of blocks out all other deaths, right? Yeah. So, like, I don't know if you remember the coffin scene where Jody goes to all the trouble to pull out his father's coffin, but doesn't look inside and then leaves it there. Then Mike shows up and does open it, he sees that it's empty and he just like freaks yeah, out. Yeah, he was really, really <laughs> scared about that empty coffin. There's so much scary stuff going on. This is literally just an empty coffin. Like, sure, maybe he's scared because his father was turned into a dwarf. But like, but he's like, like, if <laughs> I'm not mistaken, I think he just saw a guy get his brain sucked out by a floating orb with spikes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that was earlier. But yeah, like he's seen other things and not screamed that much. <laughs> yeah. I think what he was remembering was when he did see his father's corpse at the funeral and how much that traumatized him. Guess but his dream blocked, he blocked it out. out. <laughs> yeah, and the the, yeah. The, the the coffin's empty. No one died, right? Yeah, okay, that's a cool interpretation. I like it. And when he's reunited with Jody, he almost tells him the coffin was empty, but then he's like, ah, oh, forget it. After literally just screaming his <laughs> head off, he out. gets over it immediately because like his mind kind of protected him from that, right? Like okay. he was screaming, but he's not sure about what. Well, okay, as long as we're on the subject of empty coffins, here's another part of the movie that stuck out to me as something that I just felt like I didn't understand. Mike sneaks into the funeral home and is hiding from someone who isn't the tall man. And he sneaks into the coffin and hides there. And the guy who isn't the tall man seems to know Mike's there and is like coming straight at him. And then the tall man stops him and they both walk away. And yeah. Mike is saved by the coffin and by the tall man. <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> like Maybe that whole scene confused me from both like a plot perspective and from like a analogy perspective. <laughs> I mean, this may be another one of those fetish dwarf things, but um, <laughs> yeah, no. So like the guy that the First, tall man yeah, talks we can to, who is that guy? Who is yeah, he? What's I believe he is the caretaker of for the ground side. Yeah, like uh, for the grounds of okay. Morningside Cemetery. Um, right. Now, he has red blood, so he seems to be human yeah, and not human. a reanimated corpse. Right, like uh, why was he just hanging around this regular guy working for so, the tall man? Like, okay, wait, wait, wait. I just came up with a theory. Okay, All right, so th this, is, this is from the plot perspective, right? The tall man is doing things he shouldn't do. And presumably the caretaker doesn't know this because the caretaker is human. Yeah. Now, the tall man probably thinks that that coffin is empty because the tall man took the body out of it and crushed oh, it yeah, into a dwarf. Yeah. So he doesn't want the caretaker to open it and see that it's out. empty. <laughs> all right. Oh, but like, why didn't the tall man just like kill the caretaker right. with his That's orb what I was sooner? Say. This all falls to pieces <laughs> just due to the fact that the tall man is so utterly brazen with his actions. Yeah, <laughs> like, no. He doesn't try to hide what he's doing even a little. Right, and that's <laughs> like, where I feel if like... If someone's watching, he just continues. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's where I feel like some of the sequels start to fall apart when they start acting like the tall man's just taking out whole cities, but like no yeah. one cares. Like you just start yeah. to lose a sense of like, is this world even real? Like what's going on? But that's because it's all a dream, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it felt kind of weird and 
post-apocalyptic <laughs> it, it was just it got a little weird i don't know i yeah. liked it when it was self-contained in the yeah. one town and that's the main reason well not the main reason there are so many reasons that's one reason not to watch ravager because they <laughs> they <laughs> oh, kind yeah. of embrace the post-apocalyptic thing and it's just not really what the series ever was about you know but anyway so back to him blocking well, out death just we, to clarify for our viewers i haven't seen number five ravager yet but you yeah. have yeah it don't don't watch it so <laughs> these theories won't be pulling from number five, <laughs> only one no. through four. Back to my th uh, point about Mike's mind blocks out death. This is just a really small thing, but like Reggie has a car accident and is gone. And then later he just shows up. He's like, Hey guys, I'm fine. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> so it kind of seemed like Reggie had died, but then Mike's mind was like, Ooh, I don't like that. Ooh, I don't love Reggie's yeah, back. I don't want Reggie to and die. <laughs> not only, not only does Reggie come back and just be like, Oh, you know, just like, just, he just, explains it away just like oh i was just hiding out in a casket and, and then i and then i found like a bunch of of girls who were here who had been kidnapped and i snuck them yeah, out the I back saved them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so like the two ladies He's a hero <laughs> the two ladies from the <laughs> antique shop as well as the fortune teller's granddaughter presumably didn't die either even though it kind of seemed like they did so like no yeah. one died well, in this fantasy of mike's <laughs> no that's that's a weird thing i thought um like a little difference between the first one and the rest of the movies is that in the first one the tall man seems to be equally able to like take people alive yeah like he he's okay with taking live people and doing whatever he does with them whereas in the other ones he seems to kill people and then take them <laughs> like yeah. he's only taking corpses Let, let's keep going what, what else do you got i don't actually have like a too many more points but i just do want to like point out that mike has a fascination with dangerous cars there are a lot of car crashes in all of the movies. So the first time Jody goes to the funeral home and escapes, it's a car that tries to kill him. And it's a car with no driver. It's just a dangerous mm -hmm. car. So like Mike probably doesn't know who caused the car crash that killed Jody. It was just a car, right? Like, I think this is his mind creating that dangerous car that killed Jody. But what happens in this situation is Mike gets to be the hero. So I think his mind is in part in this dream is to play out a wish fulfillment scenario where he could have saved Jody from the crash that killed him. Yeah. So I just have to point out one crazy story from the shooting of Phantasm. So when you shoot cars that are driving, like the interior of cars, mm -hmm. you like your act, like if you are shooting the actor who is driving, they're not driving <laughs> when you shoot it, right. right? You find a way to fake it. Right. Because that's not yeah. safe to have someone acting and driving. Uh, yeah. But uh, Don Coscarelli didn't know that. So he just shot with the, the actor driving. But here's the thing. The actor who was driving was Mike, who was 16 when they shot this, who literally <laughs> learned to drive for this movie like he didn't know oh, how to drive oh. until this movie so it's like extremely dangerous what right? a great situation <laughs> and also don coscarelli almost got shot by the shotgun blast from a moving car oh, that jody shoots at the other car even though they were shooting blanks but like at point blank range yeah, blanks are lethal don't want to get hit yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, anyway I'm just going to get into a little bit more car imagery. I don't know how 
good this evidence is, but people get crushed in cars, right? Like cars get compacted when they crash. When people die when in people crashes. people get <laughs> compacted when they turn into dwarves. <laughs> yeah, the dwarves. All the people the, the tall man gets, he crushes, right? Like like most, like people who die in car crashes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, maybe maybe Mike didn't see Jody's body, but he heard that he got crushed in the car. Yeah. So... Yeah, I don't know. And it's Maybe like, that's how he interpreted it. <laughs> I know the like, dwarves do a lot of different things in this movie, but they are also often associated with cars, right? Like the dwarf uh, Tommy is driving a car. Reggie gets in a wreck because of dwarves. Uh, the dwarves <laughs> drive away. because there's a lot of cars in the movie. <laughs> with yeah, the antique think. shop girl's car. Well, that's another thing is that often cars just take people away to death. Right. Like that's what the hearse does. It's just a car that takes people away to their doom. And then yeah. Sally, the antique shop owner and her friend or sister or whatever, they get just taken away by a random car. I mean, I don't quite buy the dwarf car connection, yeah. but I do it's agree a, that cars do weak. take people away in this movie. <laughs> so here's another interesting thing having to do with cars. Mike is often trying to fix Jody's car. <laughs> and yes, Jody doesn't even comment on it like he doesn't care like when they drive up no. after the funeral uh, mike gets out and he just starts fixing the car and jody looks at it but he doesn't say a word right and he then he starts of... he starts talking to the neighbor as though mike isn't even there and mike can yes, clearly hear him about mike forgets that mike exists <laughs> no and i i have to say this part was really weird because everything about that scene made me it's as the viewer think oh Jody's planning to leave Mike, right? Yeah. But he wasn't. Like, he, he wasn't. This was just, you know, if your theory holds, this was just Mike's mind being like, ah, he's going to leave me. He wants to leave me. He's going to. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. No, I think this is his fear uh, that Jody's going to leave me, you know, manifested because, you know, Jody died and did leave him. But there is the second scene where he's fixing Jody's car. And I just like, why is he always trying to fix this car? Now, this is probably a stretch, but we know Jody died in a car crash. And I think this is Mike being like, maybe there's a way I could have prevented right, it. Like right? I could have fixed it. I could have made it work right. So it wouldn't have crashed. Yeah. And we don't and know just, if there was anything wrong with his car, but it's still like the I mean, idea that matter. I could have he's fixed whatever just, happened. Yeah. yeah. In the second okay. scene where he's trying to fix Jody's car, some monsters attack him and jump on the hood. And then the like the the jack that's holding it up falls or yes, whatever. Yes, it and falls it, on and it then he gets crushed. It practically crushes him. Like, it doesn't. But like, but you then know. he just kind of pops out like, oh, I'm fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I, I was kind of confused exactly. there. I was like, did I think he that's get another point where not? like his mind was like, I'm so afraid of death, afraid of dying in a car. But then it protected him like, oh, you're, you're good. We're good. There's no death. Death doesn't exist. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how dreams work when something happens that you don't really like. It just fixes itself yep. <laughs> like that did cars kill his parents as well like did they die in a car crash um so do I we ever find out i don't know and there is actually yeah, no, one don't. flashback in the fourth movie that we'll talk about that kind of like destroys some of what we know from the first movie like uh, but we'll talk about that in a minute when we get to the sequels so at the very end of the movie when they beat the tall man and drop him down the mine shaft like it's kind of weird because we don't even know what jody did presumably he covered up that hole that the tall man falls well, into and I, yeah he pushed rocks and he down. pushed some rocks down but then like but the weird thing is he didn't expect mike to lead the tall man into no, that trap he didn't. <laughs> so what was he even doing and then the last time he ever sees his brother is he's just looking up 
and his brother is just surrounded by light. Like, where's that light even coming from? Right? <laughs> like it's, it's his brother, you know, dead. Like he's an angel. Like that's how his, his mind ends the dream is like my brother, he didn't go to hell with the tall man. Like he's bit, he's this exalted being, you know? <laughs> and just refresh my memory, them burying the tall man in the mine shaft. This happened after, <clears throat> after they went to the funeral home and they went to that white room. Yeah. Like this is directly after that, right? Mm -hmm. I also thought that the, um, the contrast between the right white room leading to the red room, I think was sort of a duality, like heaven and hell kind of image that they threw in there. Um, even though the white room is also evil, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, okay. I was going to ask you something about this if, uh, if we're talking about that white room. So the white room has a kind of, you know, tuning fork structure mm -hmm. in it, which yeah. is a dimensional portal. What was this tuning fork? Was there any symbolism there? Like, I think that the music and the tuning fork represent the life that Mike wishes he had, right? Like he wishes he and Jody and Reggie could have just hung out until they were old playing music together on the beach, as we see in the fourth movie. So you're saying that the tuning fork leads to alternate realities because that's his alternate reality is just happy times and music. I think that the idea of Reggie and Jody playing music together and the fact that Mike wishes they could have done this forever represents life itself. And I think this is why Reggie's tuning fork has the power to stop death itself. Like in the fourth movie, it can okay. paralyze death um, because yeah, it represents but then he took life. It because it, <laughs> then he takes it. No one can stop that. So then this is going to stretch. So if tuning forks represent life, then tuning forks leading to alternate dimensions, big ones, I guess, yeah, could represent Mike imagining alternate lives, other possible things that could have happened, right? Like ways yeah. that he could continue on with his life or something like that. Then I'm not quite sure what it represents when Reggie stops the resonance. Right. That was going to be my next and question. And everything gets sucked into why, hell. <laughs> why does Reggie putting his hands on the two different prongs of the tuning fork and only Reggie can do this. <laughs> Why does that make everything get sucked to hell? Like, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think it's that only Reggie can do it, but I think they just don't want it. it they just don't want to take Even that in, away from him. <laughs> in the fourth movie, they were like, Reggie, you've got to do this. You did it before. <laughs> and he's like, all right, all right, I'm trying. <laughs> like they act like this is, it's all on Reggie. No one else can do it. <laughs> um, well, that... Stopping the resonant frequency seems to often denote the coming of the end of the dream, right? Oh, if you say so. <laughs> well, because it often happens near the end of the movie, right? So that's like him. When you say stopping the resonant frequency, you mean putting your hands yeah. on the two prongs uh -huh. of the tuning fork. Yeah, because yeah, well, okay. it stops them from vibrating when he does that. So I think maybe that represents like the dream is coming to an end. And okay. you have to wake so up this is, to reality, this is to the over. reality that you're still alive and you will die yeah, you eventually. You can't go to your tuning fork reality anymore. You can't go to your own wonderfully crafted reality. You have to face the right. real reality. Exactly. The reality where you and Jody and Reggie hang out on the beach playing music doesn't really exist. Right. You just got your life and that's it. Now you're back in your house with Reggie and <laughs> Jody is dead and you're going to go upstairs and face yeah. death. <laughs> and right. this was a random point from before, but so it's confusing that Reggie dies 
but then actually Jody died, right? Yeah. I kind of think that was, that was Mike's confusing. last ditch effort to be like, no, it wasn't Jody who died. Someone else died. I don't know, Reggie. <laughs> you know, like couldn't oh, he have Mike died instead? Right. Reggie. Like that's the bargaining phase of of yeah. um, grief. You know, couldn't it have been Reggie or me or anyone else other than Jody? Um. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you have any reasoning for why it was the lady in Violet who stabbed Reggie? Because he didn't have sex with her. (laughs) No. What was going on there? No, he didn't. Why did she even come back? (laughs) Well, I mean, the lady in Violet represents, as I said, coming of age, which represents that you're going to die eventually, which is why she stabs people. (laughs) All right. It's as simple as that. There's nothing more to it. I mean, I do know okay. that it wasn't until this is a meta thing, but it wasn't until the end that Don Coscarelli decided that the tall man was the lady in violet. Um, and so like oh. when Angus Grimm and the lady who plays the lady in violet, so he was just going to have this lady stabbing people. <laughs> randomly? I think she was just going to be like one of his, uh, henchmen, you know, okay. Maybe one. Of, Cause like he doesn't crush all of his reanimated corpses right so maybe she was just one of well i mean he i think he did in the first movie though yes he he did but later on he doesn't and as we talked about like don coscarelli right. knew, knew what he we was have doing to man. Assume <laughs> that, yeah this is a very cohesive well thought out universe <laughs> yes <laughs> are we have we gone through everything in the first movie oh, it feels like we're almost almost done so the, the one last thing i have is just so he wakes up he's with reggie reggie is saying yeah we could why don't we hit the road? You know, which I think represents like, let's, you know, living his life, moving on. Yeah. But at this point, like, are we awake? Well, no, (laughs) we find out he's still dreaming, right? He's not ready to move on just yet. He's not ready to go with Reggie. And like at the very end, we get that final image of him being pulled through the looking glass, which thanks to Alice, like we know that means that you're dreaming. You're in a fantasy world. So he wasn't ready to move on. And he's still dreaming which his dream continues in the other sequels. (laughs) All right. Okay. So before we move on to the other movies, I had another question about the first one, which I don't really felt fit in uh, anywhere. So I was kind of saving it. So the the tall man is chasing Mike through the the funeral home. Mm -hmm. Mike manages to just barely slip out the door and slams it behind him. And then he's like, whew brushes the sweat off of him and then looks back there's there's like half of a hand through that door and there's a fingers and then he's like hmm i'll just chop those off (laughs) i thought that was a bit of an odd reaction so he's like i'll just chop these fingers off like i would think he'd just be like oh good thing he didn't get me i better get far away from him but no he's like i'm gonna take the time to chop off these fingers did you think there was any meaning to him chopping off death's fingers right there like he was declawing death. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, what's going on? Sure. Yeah. I mean, like, why do, why do the parts that you chop off of the tall man turn into like spiders? <laughs> All right. Well, that's, I'm going to continue this question. So if, if you got no comment there, we'll keep going. Yeah, let's keep going. So then he, he grabs one of the fingers and I actually really like this part because he puts the finger in a box and he goes home and his, uh, Joe, Jody is there and he's like, super scared and explains everything to Jody and Jody's like not believing him and Jody's like all right little guy I know you're scared here why don't you show me your quote unquote evidence and then he opens the box and there's a finger moving and jumping around in there and he closes the box and just says all right I believe everything (laughs) like it was just as simple as that I love that scene because like in any other movie the finger would have been gone and you would have been like ah 
oh, why didn't he just, why couldn't he have seen the finger? But in this one, it was just like, yeah. he just sees it, he closes it, he believes it. <laughs> like, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, no, that is great. But yeah, so uh, him showing Mike the finger of death and then the finger of death turning into a fly that likes to get in their head. So <laughs> like it, it kind of gets in their hair and then they put creature, it in a blanket and put it in the garbage disposal. <laughs> what did all that have to do with anything? <laughs> well, first of all, that creature, although it does seem to be able to fly, I think it's a spider because I know in a deleted scene. So during that part where he's just running through the forest and he gets pulled down into the mud, it was a uh -huh. lot longer and he had to face lots of horrors and trials in that forest. And <laughs> so he had good reason to be afraid. And right one then. of them was, he saw that creature again, but like in a giant web. <laughs> so, oh, so it was a spider. <laughs> yeah. But I guess Don Coscarelli didn't like uh, the special effects, which I'm like, well, yeah, they were bad, but like you had it in the other scene too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's already in the movie. <laughs> There's no, you can't get around it. But you don't think that that plays into your theory at all, putting Death's finger in a blender. It doesn't exactly play into my theory, but okay. So actually, here's another point that I had forgotten that is important. In your dream, you incorporate just things around you and maybe other things that you're scared of. It could be that he's afraid of spiders. I don't know. Everyone's afraid of spiders. Yeah. But like, so, yeah. so there are a lot of weird things that don't quite make sense. What are the orb balls, right, that drill out your brain? Like maybe well, that was actually going to be my next question is what are those? Like, what are the sentinels? I mean, and I tried to stretch and be like, maybe that's like the idea that it's all in your head and they're trying to bring, <laughs> bring him to reality <laughs> by, by sucking it all out of your head or something like, I mean, and there is evidence to support that in the later movies too, but like, I don't exactly know what the connection is there for sure. There are a lot of strange things like the red world, the dwarves, the floating orbs, the spider thing. We do know that Mike likes sci-fi because we, we do. Yes. Because he has a book in his room, that, that scene where he has to escape his room. He has a book called My Name is Legion, written by Roger Zelasny, which I looked up. And it is a sci-fi book about a guy in a futuristic world uh, where like there's a supercomputer that knows everyone's identity. But he's like a hacker who has like a backdoor into that supercomputer that he created like and book. so he can create any identity for himself and Dude. the book is actually just three random stories where but you weren't expecting this the guy is actually just a detective who solves mysteries and he takes on a different oh. persona every every that time that doesn't sound very fun <laughs> yeah but <laughs> i was gonna read that but not anymore <laughs> yeah so i don't think it has a lot to do with hacking it was written in like the 70s or something so mike likes sci-fi and there's lots of weird stuff in sci-fi but also Right next to Mike's bed, like right where he sleeps, which, you know, we've we've seen the tall man kind of appear in his dreams right there, is a massive poster, like a full wall poster of the surface of the moon. And Whoa. so I think that's like why his vision of hell looks like an alien world. It looks kind of like the moon, right? So I think that a okay. lot of the way to explain maybe some of these odd things is just that as happens in dreams, you take what's around you, the things you read, et cetera, and those get incorporated into your dreams. And it might not necessarily have to do with his fear of death that he's dealing with. All right. In universe, in the plot, what are the sentinels? <laughs> okay. So here's my theory plot wise, which has All nothing right. to do with my main theory. No, 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 no. He crushes people down to dwarf size. 
now. And takes out their brain. He takes out the brain and puts them in a sentinel, right? And it's a tiny brain now. What? what, Why? (laughs) What are these sentinels for? (laughs) Well, his dwarves don't seem to be particularly... They're like workers, right? Yeah, they're like slaves, workers. They don't seem to be particularly effective at doing anything, right? Like No, <laughs> they suck. Like, he sends them out, but they always fail, right? His reanimated corpses that he hasn't turned into dwarves, like he does in the third movie, like, those guys aren't very good at things either, right? I think that his uh, his sentinels are his most competent... The only effective thing <laughs> yeah. he has. What he is... It, like he, we know that he bleeds embalming fluid, just like all his reanimated corpses and that he can change his shape. So I think that his bodies are just other reanimated corpses that he changes to look like his original self, which was Jebediah Morningside, uh, yeah. who lived way back in the 1800s. Well, I mean, um, do we want to get into like what the real plot, like, sorry, the in-universe plot could have been? Cause I've got some theories on that too. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. If you've got theories on it. All right. So you think he's changing Like, you know, he's making dwarves and he's making sentinels, but also every once in a while he'll make himself a new body and he'll move his his brain sentinel to a new body as necessary. That's what you're saying? Yes. All right. So I don't know. I the way I kind of saw it. Well, like, I mean, sorry, but he is also like has the most powers of any bad guy ever. He is not he's only like telepathic. He's telepathic and telekinetic and like he he's a shapeshifter. <clears throat> he's super strong. His body parts can become evil <laughs> bugs. <laughs> and he's got he like also, he's got like four different types of of henchmen that follow him around. Like oh I, yeah. I, I forgot about his other henchmen, the the gas mask grave diggers, like the guys oh, yeah, I forgot who just harvest the bodies. Like what are yeah. those? Like I don't <laughs> What what was uh, what was what's her name? Alchemy. What was she? Was she a, a person? Was she a alchemy? Corpse? I think is basically just the second movie's version of the Lady in Violet. I think she's just. The I tall agree man. with that. Okay, you mentioned Jebediah, so I kind of got the impression that instead of like a dream, that this is almost like a alternate reality slash time travel thing, mm-hmm. where Jebediah is the tall man before he became the tall man. He's, he started out as just this guy who happened to like discover time travel. And I thought it was really interesting how Jebediah goes through the portal and then like 10 seconds later, the tall man comes back through the portal and he's like cradling a sentinel in his hands. Yeah. So along with this, I kind of have a theory that the tall man is Mike. And that's like a huge part of the fourth movie, right? Right. So the, the way that this theory goes for me is that because like the tall man, he comes back through the portal and he's cradling the sentinel. When he leaves in the, at the very end of the fourth movie, he gets the sentinel from Mike's head and then starts cradling it in that exact same way and walks through the portal and leaves. So my theory is that that is the tall man who reappeared in Jebediah's house after he left. And that he like took that sentinel from Mike's head and puts it in his own head and becomes the tall man like that. <laughs> but I, I don't know. So it's like one of those time travel movies that is like an infinite loop sort of thing. Kind of, sort of, yeah. Like he created time travel and also created this horrible, weird tall man thing at the same time, which never ends and just, you know, 
Jebediah goes through and then Mike is born way later and then he brings back Mike's head as a yeah. <laughs> as a sentinel and becomes that's, Mike. Anyway, something like that. That's the impression I got. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's actually that's, really good. Like, I wish you had written Phantasm Ravager. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I think it was pretty perfect as it was. Well, I haven't seen Ravager, <laughs> but I think the first four movies were pretty perfect as they were. I wouldn't change yeah, a single so, thing. So do them. you feel like you got to the end of Oblivion and you're like, that's it. The story's over. No, because they immediately, he was like, I'm going to go save you, Mike. I'm going into the portal. <laughs> yeah. dun, dun, dun. And I wish they hadn't done, like, I wish they had ended Oblivion with something more like you said, that's ambiguous, but like, you know, it feels kind of more like an ending, but yeah. Don well, okay. really wanted they, the option to make more money off of his franchise. So. Well, so they did the fake out thing, which they do at the end of every movie um, where they <laughs> yeah. kind of, it's okay. And then, no, it's not. Um, they did that at the end of number four. And I thought it was the most effective fake out. I loved it. The ending of that movie was amazing because first they do like, you know, Reggie's like, I'm going to save you, Mike. I'm going into the portal. And then they like focus on Mike who's like laying there with no brain saying like, I'm dying, I'm dying, Reggie. And then it kind of fades into another of these like flashbacks where we see Mike as a kid and he's just, he gets in, like Reggie drives up in his ice cream truck and kid Mike gets in the ice cream truck and they're just driving together and they like talk to each other a bit. And then Reggie kind of looks around, like he hears yeah. something and you can hear like, old Mike saying, I think he's saying like, I'm dying. And then Reggie's like, did you hear something? And then young Mike says, it's just the wind. Yeah. And which, that's which how it is. ends. I love that. That was well, such a good I, ending. I dude. love I, I think that's a great ending too. And I love it, it too perfect. for another and reason. such amazing use of old footage. Yeah. Well, like that <laughs> like, was I can't originally going to be part of the first movie. And like, but like, I don't know how it was in the first movie, but like framing it the way they did at the end yes, of Oblivion was just it so as creepy. Like him as a kid, not hearing himself dying as an yeah. adult. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, that was good. Right. Like, and like things like that uh -huh. was the reason like Oblivion was my favorite movie after the original, just because of like, it yeah, is it more abstract and it doesn't exactly have much of a storyline and it's very low budget, but like the way they used the original footage and just like it. It also feels really kind of Lynchian and just like how it's just so surreal and strange and how you never quite know what anything is, but you feel like everything is something, you know? Mm -hmm. But what's, what's interesting is that in Phantasm 1, uh, after that scene we talked about where he scares his brother with the lady in violet and his brother's trying to calm him down, mm -hmm. you hear one of the dwarves in the background go, Bleh. <laughs> and then, yes, and <laughs> his brother says, it's Mike, just the Mike wind. says, did you hear that? And Jody says, it's just the wind. And so like, yeah. it just makes me like, so how did that other scene fit into the full Phantasm movie, you know? Like, what else happened know. in that movie, you know? <laughs> but, like, like, it's great where I, it is. I assumed, I assumed they originally just filmed it as him driving with uh, Reggie and maybe hearing a monster and then him saying it's just But, like, wind. that scene is clearly, like, Jody's, right. Jody's not clearly, there. And it's clearly echoing an earlier scene where Jody was yes. there. So I'm like, did that happen <laughs> after he woke up? Like, was that when Reggie said, let's hit the road? You know, did, is that what they did? You know? No, it, it must have happened in the fourth <laughs> movie as we saw it. <laughs> yeah. like, it's so good. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, I can't believe that they managed to, like, that was like uh, uh, too fast. No, sorry. Fast and Furious 
this uh, Tokyo Drift levels good <laughs> retconning oh, a was, series. Yeah. To... <laughs> I mean, it was even better than Tokyo Drift because they didn't have that. They didn't have them age up 10 years suddenly in the next <laughs> <Yeah>. shot. <laughs> wow. So like I said, I'm not going to talk much about two or three. Uh, interesting to note, I watched the trailer for Phantasm 3 and the trailer at the very beginning gives like a dictionary definition and it says Phantasm the delusion of a disordered mind. So like, oh, that's what this whole go. series is. That's it's what the it delusion is. of a disordered <laughs> mind. It. Dude, you should have started this podcast. Just like, uh, like any good talk. Um, Oxford or Webster's dictionary <laughs> defines phantasm as. Okay. So, but four is the one that I want to talk about. Cause I think it has the most stuff in it. Well, wait, wait, first, 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 sorry. Phantasm three. Um, the little kid in that movie could have been, you know, Mike kind of reliving what he felt was like, you know, I, 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 w- I want to be the hero. I'm so cool. Right. Like, I'm the little kid I wasn't who just an fought all the bad guys. kid who... <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, dude, that reminded me. One other it was, it was dumb little evidence of the tall man being death uh, and death causing car accidents was that in the very beginning... Mike is riding around on his dirt bike and the tall man just like motions with his hand and Mike like flips over in his dirt bike. Like he has a car wreck because of death. <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right. That did happen. And it's like, it's, it's oh. he's not even hurt. Right. Cause at that point his mind no. is still protecting him from death. Before we move on from two and three, I also have to mention, I don't know if this is how it was, but my interpretation of the end of number two and the beginning of number three was that Don Coscarelli, he was kind of like fed up with being so controlled by the studio and not satisfied with what he made for number two. So I I liked how each movie recaps the previous movie. (laughs) When he recaps number two, we never see Mike's face as the other actor. You never (laughs) see James LaGrosse. (laughs) Right. He's like, forget about that. But then also the other main character that they introduced in that movie, the blonde girl, whose name I can't even remember, at the beginning of the next movie, because they set her up as like, she's part of this. Like, she's also psychic (laughs) and special. Like, something connects her and Mike. And then the very first scene of the next movie... Car crash, she's dead. Tall man walks up <laughs> carrying her head. <laughs> Just like, look at this. <laughs> this is all you get to see of her. <laughs> like, she's gone. Yeah. She's history. We don't care about her. We care about Mike and Reggie. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, and that's, that is true that, like, not only did Universal force him to change the actor, but they forced him to add a romantic subplot and a love, romantic love interest. interest. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So I felt that that was kind of his way of getting back at the executives. Like, take that. That's what I think of your stupid subplot that you had me put into the movie. Right. Like, she just died so unceremoniously. Like, I don't even know how she lost her head. He just walks up holding it. Right. And Mike doesn't care. And the tall man doesn't rip people's heads off. He's never done that before. And also in in the beginning of Phantasm 4, I read that he actually was going to have a scene where the little kid was killed, but he decided to cut it. I was like, I think that's, I mean, like the kid was annoying, but I don't really want to see him get killed. That was probably good that he didn't. But also it's kind of like, what happened to the kid? Because they just kind of never mention him. So possible interpretations of Phantasm 4. How does that movie end? It ends with young Mike kind of makes you wonder, were all the movies the dream of young Mike? And that's how I took it the most at the end with them 
ending with young Mike. I like that the best that like, this isn't the story of an adventure. It's a character story. Like this is the study of this kid who is, you know, completely messed up and we're seeing how messed up in his own psyche. Right. And like, so we see at the end, like if that is him kind of waking up and maybe we're seeing the real world for the first time, you know, uh, he's driving with well, Re and I, Reggie after Jody died. Like the voice is whispering. Like, I think that's, that's like his, right. his imagination of his future self. Like how, like that's, well, and I kind of took it as he's rejecting it now. Like yeah. he says, it's just the wind, right? Like, like he's, He's, he's kind of moving on. Yeah. Man, that was such a good ending. I, I was blown away by that. That was mind-blowingly good. Oh, that was great. Like, the stuff that happened before it was good, but also I was a little disappointed because, like, when Reggie goes through that portal, I'm like, but, but, like, come on. Like, that's not an ending, you know? Yeah. But then that flashback was just like, wow, like, this, this, this is the perfect button to end your series. No, definitely. Like... I I felt that the fourth movie, it was lacking in budget because it was basically filmed in like one location, which is that desert. <laughs> so like they must not have had much money for it because they very purposefully put it in that location, had him stuck there the whole time. And then uh, they reused footage from the other movies <laughs> or like of footage, footage <laughs> they hadn't used as much as they possibly could. I mean... I was like so blown away when I like the first reused footage because uh, at first I was like, oh, they're just flashing back to a scene from the original movie. But then I was like, this wasn't in yeah, the original wait, I've movie. I've never seen this before. I'm like, they didn't, <laughs> they couldn't digitally de-age people back then. Like what the, no. and then they keep showing more and more. I'm like, dude, like Don Coscarelli, is he just a genius? Like, did he just know that he would use this later? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then later I found out that he like had actually lost a bunch of footage that had been in his original cut of the first film. And he found it and just decided to use it. And he's like, hey, this could save me a lot of money on my, <laughs> yeah. my sequel. <laughs> and make a great sequel. So good for him. So I'm of two minds about it because I felt that it was masterfully done. Like it was super cool that he used footage of them like from 30, you know, 20 years ago and made a movie out of that. I thought it was cool. I also thought it made the movie kind of like choppy it and did. disjointed yeah. and very, very amorphous. Like right. very... It was, it was all like, what is real? <laughs> right. Yeah. I think that like Oblivion succeeds on a sort of style, like style alone. Like the, there is really no plot to Oblivion. Right. Yeah. But I mean, how cool that like the IV in Oblivion is for. <laughs> oh, dude, dude, that was the greatest. <laughs> that was so cool. <laughs> oh man. That was, that was a stroke of true genius. But no, I, uh, yeah, like I said, I kind of have two minds about the whole like reusing footage. On the one hand, it was kind of a cheap trick to save money and made the movie very choppy. But on the other hand, I liked it. I thought it was great. I thought it ended, ended up really, really fun. And that last scene just blew me away. So I can accept it. But one other thing that I noticed while I was looking at this movie is um, the producers for this movie were Don Coscarelli and a Michael Baldwin. Like he, the actor for the kid, after getting replaced for the second movie, came back to produce the fourth one. Yeah. <laughs> really gave me a feeling that like this was a, a work of love from these guys. Like they just wanted to keep this story going even without a budget. They pulled their funds and made it happen with scraps of old movies and just filming out in a desert with a hearse. <laughs> like 
It, it, I thought that was yeah. kind of touching. That they no, it is. That. I, good job. Like, I think that's one of the reasons the series is so good is just that you can feel the love that went into it. Yeah. Like Reggie, the actor who plays Reggie and Mike uh, and Jody, like they are all friends with Don Coscarelli. Like they were just even the original, just yeah. filming stuff with him on the weekends. Reggie and Mike are, are have been instrumental in like developing, you know, some of the later things. And also like we were talking about, if you look at all of the old 80s horror franchises right like phantasm is just like unequivocally the best like like oh yeah friday the 13th like friday the 13th sucks there's no cohesion there no you know like and like this movie fits sorry this series like it's unbelievable how well it fits together despite being so like i mean you can easily describe the whole thing like you said as a bad dream because it's so amorphous and undefined and weird and yet it's more cohesive than any other horror movie like it yeah a nightmare on elm street even child's play which i love all these other things what they feel like all their sequels are just like they don't matter. They're stupid. Like, right. It's like, let's make another movie. Or, How or can we make Halloween, another movie? Yeah. Like all of them feel right. like phantasm too. Right. Like just so right. great that Don Coscarelli got it back into his own hands <laughs> and decided to keep going with his little yeah. project that he, that he loved. It almost made me feel like phantasm should be like a TV show. Right. Cause it was, it fit together so well. It, like, and he clearly had so much, so much to tell about, you know, this group of guys. So that leads us to, we can discuss it a little bit, Phantasm Ravager. Phantasm Ravager was originally planned as a, you, like a, a web series. So they were going to, they were oh. thinking about doing like a, a show. Um, unfortunately, Don Coscarelli did not direct or write it. Although he, like he did have a hand in the development and he like endorsed it and he was a producer but like their budget was just so low that like it, it's you feel like they couldn't shoot their entire movie and they just ended up shooting a bunch of scenes and then they put them together and they don't make sense. Um, and I also feel like yeah, that kind of sounds like the other Phantasm. <laughs> no, so actually, <laughs> you're right. And it, when I was watching Ravager, I was like, I was even thinking to myself, I was like, my main complaint I have with this movie I mean, that's also what the other movies kind of were, right? Like, so like I could see why on paper Don Coscarelli would be like, yeah, sure. Like, it'll work. You just shoot these random scenes and put it together. But I don't know. if they're not written and directed by the right person, you know, by the same person, they'll lose that cohesion. Yeah, for some reason it didn't work. And like even like Reggie and Mike and Jody are all still fine. But the extra actors they've added in are really bad. There are a few few things that I like about this movie, but it, it it kind of destroys the story of the first four in that even though Reggie became a main character, it was never Reggie's story. But, but now it is. Yeah, Ravager is Reggie's story, which is why I think I consider Ravager to just be a fan film because that's what it feels like. And it's not necessarily like terrible for a fan film if you think of it as one but as a main series film it is terrible so like um well i mean that but i can i can accept that having never seen it (laughs) but they took the fan favorite which is reggie and they made it about him and like the beginning of it is actually kind of cool like reggie walks out of the desert wearing his tattered ice cream man outfit and like with his Mm. four barrel shotgun you know and that part i was like all right this is gonna be good but then it just doesn't really go anywhere and then reggie all of us it just keeps flashing between different time periods and all of a sudden reggie is at like a psychiatric hospital and he's crazy and mike comes up to him and mike is 
he's like, you're dreaming, Reggie. It was all a dream. But like, it was never Reggie's dream. It was, it was Mike's dream. dream. It was Mike's dream. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's kind of... Uh, that kind of undoes everything. And like, that's even that thing. would be okay if it was, it was like, okay, so like, Reggie's crazy and none of this happened. Whatever, I can go with that. If they followed that storyline, but they don't follow that storyline either. Then all of a sudden they just keep switching and like all of a sudden they're in a post-apocalyptic world. And there are a cool, a few cool scenes that I liked where Reggie and the tall man talk to each other. Like they just talk because you've never really had them have a conversation with the tall man before. No, he just says, boy, which is a great catchphrase. I love it. But um, <laughs> yeah, so like the conversations that Reggie and the tall man have, I thought were pretty good. But other than that, the movie just, there's not much there. But like the, the send off, right. like the one thing that sort of wraps up the series in a cool way is just that at the very end, in their weird post-apocalyptic world, for no reason whatsoever, Jody drives up in like a Mad Max car and then, like, picks up Reggie and Mike, and they just, like, drive off into the sunset together, and they're cool. Man. Wow. So it's, like, it's cool on the level they of, the trio yeah, the trio's again. back together. But, like, like I said, they've lost all their cohesion. And then Rocky comes back, and that's kind of cool. Yay, Rocky! <laughs> Dude, now I gotta watch it. But her scene is with the worst actor. Like, every line he says just makes you cringe. Like, he's just so bad. So, like, it ruins Rocky's Aww. scene. Like, and I was pretty excited to see her again, that's too. too bad. But like, All right. Well, th th yeah, that's Phantasm Five. We'll just not consider it. It's a fan film. Um, it's uh, a little spice on on the dish that is Phantasm One through Four. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up your theory. Oh, I, I had a few more things that I wanted to say. Um, Right near the end of Phantasm Four, I think this supports your theory. Um, when Reggie, it, he just got to the desert. He's coming to save Mike. Um, he meets the oh, tall he, man. He gets back in his uniform. The That's the best part. Oh, well, yeah. He gets back in his ice cream man <laughs> uniform. It was so cool. Um, so yeah, he meets the tall man. And I think, I think this might be after the tall man removed Mike's uh, brain and is leaving the tall man like turns to him and addresses him like he talks to reggie and he says ice cream man it's all in his head about yeah. mike that <laughs> and I was like wow it's all in his head that's that's your theory yeah exactly i actually did have that written down as one of my things but i forgot to mention it um all right so i had a few questions uh just a few more plot questions so this is not about your theory this is just if we can try and piece together like the in-universe plot of this story. Why, and I guess this could apply to your, your theory if you want it to, but do you have any idea why reanimated people and the tall man have white liquid inside them? I think it's yellow. Is that like, is that the embalming fluid? Yeah, it's embalming fluid. I don't know why they have to be embalmed first. Okay. But apparently they do. <laughs> so, I mean... It was established in the second movie, so... <laughs> Something that confused me was uh, Mike remembered the tall man, like, he remembered the day he came to town. And ever since then, I guess he's been, like, traveling around just leaving right. desolate towns in his wake, killing everyone. That confused me because Mike had found a mm -hmm. picture of the tall man yeah. in the town 
back in the 1800s. He wasn't leaving desolate towns. And they even flash back to him in like the 1800s. And they, they yeah. see that picture again in the fourth one. And I'm like, why all of a sudden is he this walking force of destruction? He wasn't doing that for at least a century. Like, what's going on here? Yeah. And that's like the one thing I just don't like about the series is that they try to imply that things are becoming post-apocalyptic. I just don't buy it. That's not what the series is about. And like, they never show enough of it that you even believe it in world. Like this, this cemetery is named after him. Morningside Cemetery, like presumably has been there for a really long time. Like why all of a sudden is he now leaving destruction in his wake? And like, no one cares except Reggie and Mike, right? Like, no, the only good thing about that is that it kind of supports that it's all in his head because it just doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Yeah, I guess it's true. All right, all right. Well, one one more question for you before we wrap this up. Throughout the series, ever since the first movie, so in not in the first one, but the second, third, and fourth movie, uh, well, maybe not the fourth, but several times, Reggie stops somewhere and just starts like shelling out cash, just like <laughs> bills and bills. You're he's right. Just, he's I he's never loaded. Noticed that. <laughs> where did Reggie get all this money? (laughs) Like it keeps happening like over and over. Like he hands out wads and wads and like, (laughs) he's got all this cash. Where'd he get it? He's an ice cream man and he doesn't work. (laughs) Well, what's funny too, is that in the original, I didn't notice the first time I watched it. Not only does he have an ice cream truck, but when the tall man walks past his ice cream truck in that scene, He's also walking in front of a shop that is called like Reggie's Ice Cream Parlor. So he has an actual like, like, (laughs) so I don't know, maybe, maybe other people are working the shop and he's still getting the money from it. (laughs) Like maybe, I don't know. He's just, he's loaded. He's got tons of cash. Like even when they rob that store to make their weapons before they leave, he pops open the cash register and I'm like, oh, he's going to take the cash. No, he pulls out a wad of cash and just drops it on the <laughs> cash register and then they leave. I mean, I'm like, wow, he's a nice he's guy. He's a small but also, business owner too. He's not going to just steal like, from... <laughs> how does he have that much money just on him at all times? <laughs> I guess that's the biggest mystery of the film. It is. I, I can't explain it. But, you know, Reggie, he's he's a cool guy. He's got he's got the cash. He's got the skills to pay the bills. All right. Well, um, how did you feel about my theory of <laughs> of Mike being uh, the tall man from the past <laughs> um, of Mike, uh, the tall man being like a time traveler who replaces his own brain with Mike's uh, sentinel? <laughs> I mean, I give it two thumbs up. I, I, I wish it had, uh, ha- they had had something that alluded to something kind of like that. Cause they clearly yeah. were going in that direction, but then they just never really concluded it. So I, I wish, wish I'd had. fleshed out my ideas on that theory more. I can't <laughs> present it in a very good way. Let's, let's get to the real rating. Come on, lay it on me. Oh, so what do you think? Uh, what, was it all a dream or, or not? Okay, so I'm going to give it two thumbs up. I love the theory. Like, clearly, I can't, I can't deny it. I mean, I can't possibly contest this theory. And that is where I will also put a little, like, uh, addendum on this, which is that I love it and I give it two thumbs up, but I don't know how solid it is because these movies are so undefined. Like, they're just, they're so right. crazy and weird and, like you said, dreamlike that you could almost say it's anything, right? <laughs> so, but but yeah. no, it's I true. do give it two thumbs up. I do love this theory. But I mean, 
At the end of the first film, they literally confirm my theory. I mean, like, they just say it. So. No, definitely. I, I, I can't, like I said, I cannot possibly even try to disprove that theory. I think it's great. I think it fits. I think it improves the movie. Um, I say, well done. I think it's a good theory. I think, uh, I think that the director of these movies, the writer, I think he'd agree with you. But uh, maybe we can ask him. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us on the Popcorn Isn't Real like seriously we both loved phantasm so go watch it if you're listening it's great um and yeah it's a great series this has been Leif eric and my brother torvald and we are signing off catch you later thank you so much for listening opening music for this episode was provided by christine if you want to see how our theory holds up we provide links in the episode description where you can enjoy the media we discuss And if you like our podcast, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts. And remember, the popcorn isn't real.